everybody, and welcome to Cross-Examination, the podcast for curious Christians confronting complicated questions. I'm Cale Prindle. Thank you so much for coming back. It's episode two. Uh, hopefully you listened to episode one and that's why you're here. Or maybe it's your first time. Thanks for coming in. I appreciate it. Um, quick couple of things about what this podcast is. Since it's still early on, I feel like I have to like explain it. I don't know why. Um, it'll get old. I promise I won't do this every time. But real quick recap, if in case you didn't listen to the earlier episode. Um, this is a podcast I'm starting because I feel that there are a lot of people in really tricky places, spiritually speaking, that we often find ourselves in spiritual ecotones, these two spheres of life that are kind of merging together. And there are weird places to be. We might believe one thing, but we live in a context that, that tells us that what we think or believe might not be true, or we just are in a weird spot space where we don't always feel like we can express ourselves or or say what we think or even ask certain questions. Uh, so this is a podcast that I want to take some time to encourage free thought. I want to encourage questions. I want people to feel like if they're in a space that is tumultuous and crazy and weird and, and they feel kind of alone in that area, that this is a podcast that will hopefully speak to some of those feelings, that this is a place where you can feel comfortable wherever you are spiritually. Part of that, of course, includes just examining everything that you know. And sometimes you might find a new thing. Sometimes you might find that everything you knew was correct and you just needed the affirmation and you can move on. Um, but my goal here is, of course, to push things a little bit further, a little bit deeper, trying to find something cool and new and interesting in, in our faith journeys. So... I won't take up a whole lot of time today. Today we're going to talk about Easter and how it's weird. Yeah, let's just go with that. So as I mentioned in last week's podcast, I grew up in a Christian household. Everything I knew from when I was first born all the way up until pretty much after college was always through a lens and a framework of the Christian tradition. So Easter has always been kind of a big deal for me. But what was weird in my church is I feel like Easter never got a lot of attention, not a ton of airplay. Christmas, of course, always big to do. Jesus is born programs. I had to wear bathrobes and be a shepherd on I don't know how many different occasions. And we sang the same Christmas songs every year. Easter was always present like we knew about it. But my denomination growing up did not put a ton of emphasis um, on the entire thing. We certainly paid attention to Sunday morning. We knew that Jesus uh, rose from the dead. We knew that was a big deal. It was kind of the cornerstone of the Christian faith. So it's not that we ignored it completely. But when I was an adult and hung out with other people who didn't grow up the same way I did, they would say, hey, what are you giving up for Lent? And I said, I don't know what that means. <laughs> like, what do you mean? You're like a really churchy guy. And I'm like, yeah, my church didn't do Lent or Good Friday or really any of the common 
religious Christian religious things that are associated with that whole Easter Passover thing. So we had a couple of reasons for not putting too much emphasis on there. And one I think is fairly common in a lot of conservative Christian churches. And that is we would be very cautious about the origins of a holiday. So Christmas was something that we celebrated a little bit more openly, but we were also aware that the idea of evergreen trees uh, were also originally way back with like winter solstice um, pagan rituals and th those would come up fairly often at my church. It's like we couldn't have just a good, clean, fun Christmas. It was, this is important because Jesus was born. Also, yeah, you can still have your presence. But just so you know, paganism is bad. Or something like that. And Easter, I think, got even more of that. The, the church would frequently talk about eggs and rabbits and and fertility goddesses and, and how those were the ways of the world, like trying to hijack or mess with what was, what we saw kind of our holiday. Um, so this didn't really matter to me, um, but I think that's one of the main reasons my church didn't do a lot of stuff with Easter. With all of that in mind, the concept of Easter being something that some churches certainly celebrate, but maybe have kind of this weird other thing attached to it. I want to talk about Easter in that way because Easter is a bit weird. I think it's worth mentioning that the ideas we celebrate at Easter were always weird. And I think they're always weird because they have always embodied paradoxes. So uh, I want to take a look at a few different things where I think there are some weird things at work, some forces that pull apart from each other these paradoxes that surround the Easter story. So first thing, super weird thing, Jesus knows he's going to die. He knew it, he was aware of it, and he even tried to tell people that this was a thing that was going to happen. Uh, so I want to read a little bit here. This is from uh, the book of Mark in chapter 8. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. What about you? He asked, who do you think I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed, and after three days, rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Okay, so <laughs> let's go through a few of these things. First of all, um, as Jesus is going through, he's asking people about his own identity. Who am I? Who do you guys think I am? Who does everybody else think I am? We've been hanging out for a while. Let's, let's talk about the elephant in the room that everyone's saying something different about me. And so they kind of go through that and he's like, well, who do you think I am? And Peter, who I think is often put as kind of like a bad dude or a not smart dude in the Bible, probably deserves a bit more credit 
Uh, but he's like, you're the Messiah. And Jesus is like, awesome. Yes, cool. Now don't tell anybody. So you already have a weird thing where Peter says that Jesus is the Messiah and he's like, don't tell anyone. He doesn't want people talking about him uh, kind of in that way. But then he goes on to basically say, here's the deal. I'm going to be rejected by everybody that this culture finds important. The priests, the teachers, the elders, they don't want me to do my thing and they don't want me around. In fact, I'm actually going to get killed. I'm going to be alive later, but I am going to get killed. And we have a disciple who says, hey, how about you tone it down over there with the whole you're going to die thing? You shouldn't be talking like that. And then Jesus gets mad at him. So what do we do with this? A lot of weird stuff going on. Um, first, this is going to sound probably similar to stuff you've already heard in churches and sermons before. So I apologize if I'm retreading some old common ground. When you choose somebody to follow and model your life after and, and do the things that that person does, probably one of the last things you want to hear is that they're not going to stick around. You probably also don't want to hear how they're admitting up front that what they're going to do is going to be seen as very unpopular. Now, sometimes that works really well. Sometimes people can see somebody as being unpopular and actually rallies more people to the cause. Like, well, yeah, they don't like him. It's because he speaks the truth. And, and you can have that kind of thing going on. But Peter is bothered by the way Jesus is talking about this. So he goes and says, like, dude, that's not you. That's not how this is going to work. You know, you're amazing. You're awesome. And all these other things that we can kind of assume that he might have said. And Jesus spins around and says, no, no, no. You've got it all wrong. So you're thinking I'm something that's going to do something for you. You're not thinking the way that the bigger truth thinks. You're worried about human problems and human concerns. So the stuff that we often hear growing up in, in Christian churches is, of course, the, the historical context in which Jesus is living, that you have the Romans and you have this oppressive society. And so the idea of a Messiah was not just somebody who was going to like make your life better in this kind of abstract, spiritual, walk the good way kind of a faith. It was going to be something that was going to overturn the empire, restore the kingdom of Israel, make us... <laughs> make Israel great again. Oh no. I'm leaving that in. Okay. And so Jesus is like, that's not what I do. That's not what this is. You've got it all wrong. And for somebody to be seen as somebody that was supposed to be like a ruler, like a leader. And he says, I'm gonna die. That's my big thing. Is so weird and so different. And so, you know, antithetical to everything that they're going to expect from this man. So that's one really weird thing about Easter. Somebody who was seen as the king, the Messiah, the salvation of a country and of a people says, I'm going to make a lot of people real mad. And then I'm going to die. And that's the way it's supposed to be. Second weird thing. Jesus dies, um, but he doesn't stay dead. So we just heard already um, saying that he's not going to stay dead. That he'll be back in three days. We also get this in Matthew chapter 12 when people are asking Jesus for a sign 
of who he is. He's like, I'm not going to give you a sign. I don't need to prove everything to you. The only sign you're going to get that I am who I say I am is the sign of Jonah. Three days in the belly of the earth. And so we have this kind of idea of Jesus will die, but he's going to be back. And here's the deal. I brought this up briefly last week as well. For a lot of people, this is where you check out. This is where you say, no, this religion thing is crazy because that doesn't happen and it can't happen. And of course that's hard. I used to be in a space where I'd be like, well, you just don't have enough faith. But I'm really working on trying to be in this space where I see people's concerns and questions as being perfectly valid. Why would we ever assume that, oh yeah, of course. He died officially dead. Mm. But then here he is back again. This is not that hard to understand like why people would have a hard time accepting this. Jesus' own disciples did not accept this. Not only did they not accept it when they heard it before it happened, like when Jesus said, I'm going to die, they're like, no, you're not. But they didn't understand it or accept it even after it happened. Jesus comes back. He sees a lot of the people he knows, and those people go to tell his other disciples. And you have someone like Thomas, Thomas, like Peter, is always kind of painted as like this bad guy. Like he's the disciple who didn't figure it out. And so he must be an idiot. And so Thomas is like, yeah, I know you guys say that he's alive, but you know that can't happen, right? And then Jesus shows up. And the way he deals with Thomas is this wonderful, beautiful, grace-filled thing. It's like, you didn't believe. You see me now and you believe that's cool. And Thomas becomes this really interesting figure, a guy who does not understand or believe the impossible, but he's not chewed out for it. Jesus does not show up and be like, dude, Thomas, that was a test. You bombed that one, bro. We're done. Instead, he shows up. He's like, blessings on you because you saw and believed. It's even cooler when you believe, even if you don't see it. So Thomas isn't told that he's a bad dude. He's told that he's a guy who made sense of his situation. And I love that because I think that's where most of us are if we're honest about it because we have certain ideas about life, death, faith, everything. Life and death, that's our own little like binary state of existence. They're at odds with each other. You live and you die and that's that. You don't come back from that. That makes perfect sense sense just on what you can see just on what you can observe and really if we even just look to the rest of the natural world it all makes sense it frequently displays death as being a gateway to life but because of the way our brains work this is almost impossible for us to truly accept when you bury a seed and it grows this that's that's death turning into life When you see like a forest fire rage through a mountainside and you see the new growth come up that otherwise wouldn't have been there, that's life coming from death. But that doesn't really matter when we talk about our own consciousness. We can't fathom not being alive. So why would we ever think or accept that, oh yeah, sure, 
He died and he came back. It goes against everything that we see in our logical brains. But that's a big part of the story. Third weird thing. The Easter story invites us to see ourselves in ways that go against what we really are. So for this one to make a lot of sense, we have to go back and look at how the Bible speaks about how you get on God's good side. In the Old Testament, you had very clear set rituals that were in place because we understood that God was bigger, God was greater, God was more perfect, and we were not. So what we had is we had to work our way to being worthy. I see the Old Testament as being the human attempt at being good, of being valuable, and of being worth God's attention. So you have huge chunks of Exodus and Leviticus and and Numbers and all those early books of the Bible that are giving us rule after rule after rule, which I think there's some value in. I'm going to save that for another episode. But what we really get down to is people working and working and working and working to prove that they're worth something. To prove to God, or maybe themselves, that they're not terrible, awful, trash people. So the way they did it is they looked at it and said, we're going to take a life to make up for all the bad stuff that we do. And so you had an animal sacrificial system that throughout the year, lambs, goats, bulls, rams would be taken to the temple, would be slaughtered, would be burned. And then we get to the New Testament. We get to Jesus. And this is like a key point in Christian theology that Jesus becomes that sacrifice for all of humanity. So why is that weird? Aside from the whole death and sacrifice and everything else that has nothing to do with our modern culture at all, here's why it's weird. We came from a system that was sacrifice and life for life and eye for an eye into what's called substitutionary atonement that we don't need to continue presenting death as an acknowledgement of our messed upness. I'll pretend that's a word. Instead, we have a perfect sacrifice. That death, that sacrifice, that's how we earned our worth. And theologically speaking, that's how the church operates. Because Jesus died, we can live. We've heard that. Our whole lives, that's how it's been presented to us. But why? Where did it come from? It kind of reminds me of the story of Naaman. Naaman was the guy in the Old Testament who was covered in leprosy. And he went to go see the prophet Elisha, who said, you need to go wash yourself in the Jordan River. He's like, that's stupid. I'm out. And then Naaman's servant's like, it's, it might seem weird to do that, but why not just go with it, dude? Like it works. If it works, it's awesome. So go do it. And I kind of feel like that way for this whole sacrificial system. Why is that the thing? Who sets it up? If God did, if that's how this whole thing works, that God's like, hey, that's the way to do it. It's weird because God could have done anything. 
when you ask and, and investigate and explore the way we often picture and think about God and the qualities we give to God, he's all powerful. So he could have set up anything that he wanted and it could have, it could have worked. It could have been like, you need to make yourself a pair of banana shoes and wear them for five days in a row, no matter how gross it feels or whatever. And that'll do it. That'll do it. Why not? But here's the cool thing. Instead, we took this system for whatever reason it was in place. And Jesus fits into that system. It fits into the context and culture. It helps the people who are already doing this thing to understand, oh, that makes sense. But what it does for us is also just amazing. Because there's a shift that happens here in the Bible. We move away from having to work toward our worth. And instead, we're just worthy. Substitutionary atonement changes who we are. From being flawed little creatures who need to prove their worth to flawed little creatures who have inherent value. That's the kind of stuff you start getting after the crucifixion, after the Easter story. That we don't have to sit here and try and try and try. So like, see, we're good now. Instead, we start to get admissions from people like the Apostle Paul who says like, listen, we all messed up. All have sinned. We've all fallen short of that glory of God. And that is amazing to me. One of my problems with modern religion is that we often pretend like we're not completely messed up, that we're not broken in some way, that we're not flawed. Instead, it's all happy smiles and peppy praise music. But I also don't like a lot of modern religion because sometimes we go the other direction. We just talk about how we're worthless, trash people all the time. And what's cool is both of those things are true. We are flawed. We make mistakes. We mess stuff up constantly. And we're kind of amazing. That's how God sees it. I don't always like pulling like inspiration from songs because it seems really cheap or shallow or sometimes cliche. But there is one song I'm a big fan of uh, called Fool with a Fancy Guitar by Andrew Peterson. And the reason I like it is the entire song is structured around this idea of I'm bad. Like, I'm not worth it. I got so many problems and I do so many terrible things. But the line that keeps coming back is, but I am a priest and a prince in the kingdom of God. We're both. And that makes no sense. And yet somehow around Easter, that's the truth that gets revealed. So why am I loving Easter right now? I'm loving Easter right now because I'm learning how to embrace the impossible. I'm trying to merge with the mystery and I think it's fun. I think it's weird at the same time. It's this kind of joy that ends up being actually really well represented by the rest of the Easter symbols. Because rabbits and eggs have nothing to do with Jesus. But that doesn't make me upset. That doesn't make me want to rethink it or get rid of it or remind everybody, hey, those were pagan symbols for a thing that we never care about now. 
the thing is, rabbits and eggs are just the beginning of the strangeness of Easter. Because we're dealing with a story about a king who knows and accepts that he will die. A story that sees life on the other side of death. A story that tells us we are amazing even though we're awful. And you don't have to understand how all of that works together. Instead, I'm trying to let it teach me that I can be in a state of wonder in the face of things that I don't understand. When's the last time you watched a kid hunt for Easter eggs? It's amazing. It's a rush of excitement and expectation, quickly followed by confusion and frustration. Ending with surprise and joy of discovering something that we didn't think was there that we didn't think was possible. If that doesn't represent what Easter is all about, then I don't know what does. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening to Cross Examination. I hope you're enjoying it. I would like to know if you're enjoying it. This is the second episode, and I've done two very different things with the two that I've put out. Um, episode one, very scripted. I wrote out almost everything word for word. And I know when I was recording it, it certainly felt different. I was stopping frequently to make sure, did I read that right or did I not? Versus this episode where I just mostly had a rough outline and just kind of ran with it. Um, I can tell by the markers here that I'm taking a lot longer to get through things, so sorry about that. Um, but I would love to hear from you on what you think, if there's a format you liked better, did you like the scripted, did you like the free-flowing stuff. You can do that in a couple of ways. One, if you're listening to this on SoundCloud, please leave a comment on what you're liking and what's working for you. You could also find uh, the Cross-Examination Podcast on Twitter at CrossExamCast. So you can throw me some stuff that way. Um, that would be great. Anyway, thank you again so much for listening. Uh, if you know some people who are trying to find something different for their spiritual life, feel free to send this out. Um, I'd love to have more people listen. And I'd love to hear from you. Um, for legal reasons, of course, I've got to mention my music from bensound.com. Otherwise, I am Kale Prindle. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.